buddy Terry and I will take an OH tonight. 9-0 for you who aren't following. And Michigan, we're coming for you. <laughs> I love this church. Come on. Dear Heavenly Father, I am surprised by you. Your nature is infinite. And your spirit gives us fresh glimpses. And tonight I'm thinking about you as the God who sings to his people. And I pray that you'd give us an open heart to see you in your majesty and in your splendor. In Christ's name, amen. Perhaps the uh, best known prophet in the Old Testament is Isaiah. He was a poet. Even if you exclude the uh, spirituality of his poems, his poetry stunning. He was a genius. And he read his poems to King Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the king who went against the uh, grain in Israel's decline. And the Assyrian army came to Jerusalem and surrounded it. And Isaiah said to Hezekiah, do not be afraid, the Lord is on our side. But as all good things must come to an end, Hezekiah died. And his son Manasseh, who began to uh, reign when Hezekiah died, about 700 years before Christ, Manasseh was a bad man. He was a uh, he was an evil man. He wasn't just bad himself he was so bad he corrupted the people around him and tragically he ruled for 55 years you can read about Manasseh in 2nd Chronicles 33 he was so bad that God said to him I cannot permit you to be king and the Syrians, the Assyrians, but in captivity, Manasseh remembered his dad, Hezekiah. And in captivity, he cried out to the name of the Lord. And the Lord rescued him and caused the king of Syria to put Manasseh back on the throne. 
And for the few years he reigned after, he tried to make up for all the bad he had done. The problem is, he had hopelessly corrupted his son Ammon. And his son Ammon only reigned for two years. But the author of the Chronicle said he may have been the most evil king in, in, in Judah's history. He was so corrupt, his own, uh, his own uh, staff couldn't stand him and murdered him. And they put his eight-year-old son, Josiah, on the throne in his place. Josiah was eight years old. Six hundred in six six hundred and forty years before Christ, and he ruled until six o nine. The first eight years of his rule, we don't know much. But we know when he was 16, according to 2 Chronicles 34 and 35, he began to seek the Lord. And when he began to seek the Lord, <clears throat> he saw all the idols that his grandfather and father had put in Jerusalem and all over the land. And he simply said, I'm going to dismantle this. There will not be an idol left here when I'm done. It wasn't enough for him to start getting rid of the idols. He also went up to the temple that had been abandoned. Manasseh abandoned the temple. He let it fall into decay. Nobody took care of it. It was a wreck. And Josiah said, I'm tearing down all the idols and I'm repairing the temple. And he funded the repairing of Solomon's temple. And while they were repairing the temple, they found a niche that had been sealed. And when they opened the niche, they found probably the book of Deuteronomy. And a priest came running to uh, Josiah and said, we found the book of the Lord. And Josiah said, read it to me. And the priest took turns reading to Josiah the entire book of Deuteronomy. And when Josiah heard the book of Deuteronomy, he tore his clothes and repented and said, surely, if God is just, we are in bad trouble. J 
Josiah was so moved by the reading of the book of Deuteronomy that he called all of Judah together. And he had a platform built in front of the temple. And he stood in front of the people and read the book of Deuteronomy to them. And he asked them to join him in national repentance. Josiah reigned until 609, and he turned the hearts of Judah back to God. But in 609, the Egyptians sailed into uh, the Levant for a big battle against the Assyrians. And Josiah had sworn loyalty to the Assyrians. So he marched his army out against the uh, Egyptians and tragically was killed in battle. And his sons and grandsons took after Manasseh's father and grandfather and not him. This national revival that Josiah worked, he didn't do it by himself. He had a cousin. He had a royal cousin, and his name was Zephaniah. And Zephaniah's little book is tucked into the Old Testament. It's only three chapters. It follows Habakkuk that we studied last time we had a Saturday night service. Zephaniah was Josiah's partner in bringing Israel back to God. Uh, Zephaniah's family line traced back to Hezekiah. We know that from Zephaniah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of uh, Ar, uh, 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 Amariah, the son of Hezekiah. Uh, Josiah the son of Ammon, the son of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah. And when I think about uh, the relationship between King Josiah and the prophet uh, Zephaniah, I'm reminded of an important principle. The people who are closest to you in life have a profound effect on you. So you better be careful who are the closest people to you in life. Josiah had a friend who meant business with God. He had a friend 
who was willing to follow the Lord wholly. And that friend supported him in his reforms as a king. We read about other kings who had friends who were wicked people and they drew their hearts away from God. I wonder if you would take a moment and look at your life. Who are the closest people to you in life? Are they drawing you nearer to God or are they dry, driving you farther from God? I wonder if your closest friend in life you even feel comfortable talking to about God? Or is it possible that the person you would call, the people you would call closest to you are people you are least comfortable talking to about the wonder and the beauty and the majesty of God? You see, if we're going to really be people who make a difference, we got to have some people in our life who encourage us and call the best out of us. And that is exactly what Zephaniah did for Josiah. So there's only three chapters in the book of Zephaniah. And the first chapter is about God's warning to Judah. The reform was connected to a divine warning. God said to Judah, if you do not repent from worshiping idols, and if you do not turn back to God, bad things are going to happen. In fact, Zephaniah was a poet. And his first poem is a poem of desolation. Listen to what he said. He's speaking in the name of the Lord. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. All right. In poetry, I do my best to get the image in my head. I can imagine a tornado that blows through and sweeps away everything. When the tornado leaves, all that's left is brokenness. God said to Judah, you are my chosen people, but you've gone so far from me that I need to make a clean sweep and start all over if you don't repent. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the land, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous priests and uh, uh, the priest 
those who bow down on the roofs to the hosts of heaven. Those who bow down and swear to the Lord, yet swear by Milcom. Those who have turned back from following God, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. This is a poem, and in this poem, the key word is God says, unless you repent, everything you recognize will be swept away. And for you who are Bible readers, if, uh, uh, if Zephaniah said this about uh, 610, uh, in 605, the Babylonians came to Jerusalem. In 597, they came to Jerusalem. In 586, they came to Jerusalem. And after 586, there was nothing left. They literally tore the city down. They swept it away exactly the way Zephaniah said they would. I wonder, do we as a nation believe that we can reject God in every way we want and there not be historical repercussions? I wonder, do we think that somehow or another we're different than every other culture who came before us? Is it possible that in our modern technological arrogance, we've lost the humility to learn from people like Zephaniah? And then... He wrote another poem. The first poem says, I will utterly sweep away everything. The second poem says, Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. And in this poem, the day of the Lord, God promises to punish violence and fraud. When I read these words, violence and fraud, I thought about cable news. Uh, the lead stories on cable news in America, violence and fraud. This many people got shot in this place. This many people got shot in this place. Uh, this is what war looks like in Ukraine. This is what war looks like in Israel. These are the threats in the South China Sea. And fraud, uh, they're estimating that uh, the FTX fraud may be the biggest fraud in American history. Uh, cryptocurrency. Uh, the very words that the poet Zephaniah wrote 610 years before Christ are words that resonate on our TVs and radios today. 
And God says, this violence and fraud, it matters to me. I am not indifferent to it. I'm not indifferent to 18 people dying in Maine. I'm not indifferent to the shooting at this school and the shooting at that school. I'm not indifferent to the fraud that becomes uh, uh, one story after another. And he says, because I am not indifferent to it, I intend to respond to it. He said, you've misunderstood me. In another poem, uh, Zephaniah speaks for the Lord. And the Lord says, at that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish men who are complacent. Those who say in their hearts, listen, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. You hear what they're saying? It doesn't matter what we do. God's not going to do anything anyway. That sounds modern to me. Does that sound modern to you? It sounds very modern to me that people say, uh, the idea that God is a God of providence was old 200 years ago, and we've just gotten to technologically advanced to believe something that antiquated. But God said, I am not complacent. And God said, I am not passive. And all of this matters to me. And he says, even though you are my chosen people, a day of wrath is coming. A day of distress and anguish. A day of ruin and devastation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet blasts and the battle cry. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. I wonder, do you have a heart that is spiritually attuned to God? And can you see God as a God of righteousness? Can you look around you at the broken world you live in and say, if God is truly a God of righteousness, this pattern can't continue. Or have you bought into the technological myth that somehow or another we're different than every culture who came before us? We'll dodge the bullet in the end. We can abandon the ideas of God. We can teach our kids that they are not accountable to any divine creator. That their life is just random. 
And when they begin to see life as random and to treat it as worthless, how can we be shocked? They're just acting on what we've taught them for two generations. Church. And then God said, but Judah, don't think you're the only ones. I'm going to deal with everybody. He said, but Judah, I'm offering you something. I'm not offering everyone. You are my chosen people. I want to offer you something exclusively. And Zephaniah wrote for the Lord, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden in the day of God's anger. If Zephaniah were speaking to us, he would say, look at the corruption around you. Look at the mess you're making of things. Look where your culture is. And surely you know that God is a God of justice, and this has to be dealt with. But he says, there's hope. This is not a hopeless proposition. This isn't hide in the church basement and pray for the end. There's hope. But that hope is in seeking the Lord and being humble and obeying God and doing what is right. Church, if you really want what is best for our future, you're not going to find it in Washington. You're not going to find it in Columbus. You're not going to find it at City Hall. If you really want what is best for our future, it is to be found in a relationship to God in which we humble ourselves and say, I understand. I understand. Uh, you are a righteous God. And we have not related to you in a healthy way. And I humble myself before you. I'm asking you to help me live more consistently for your purpose. I seek you. I seek your righteousness. Jesus said these same thing the same thing when he said seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you but we have followed the cultural mandate and we seek all these things first and then if we happen to have a little leftover space in our lives we try to cram God into that little leftover space am I right church
And then Zephaniah said, you need to know that God doesn't just see your corruption. He sees the corruption of the world around you. Gaza will be deserted. Ashkelon will become a desolation. Ashdod's people will be driven out at noon, and Ekron will be uprooted. The Lord will destroy the inhabitants of the Philistines. So if you look at Israel, if you look to uh, the west of Israel, that's where the Philistines lived. And there were five cities of the Philistines, and only four are listed here. Uh, Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, and uh, Ekron. And they were powerful. They were seafaring. As you, you who have read the Bible, you know they were a perpetual enemy of uh, Judah. Uh, no one could imagine them losing their autonomy. They were Greeks. And God said, I'm through with their wickedness too. I'm through with their abuse also. And then if you looked southeast of Israel, there were the nations of Moab and Ammon. Moab and Ammon were the sons of um, Lot. Uh, the story is so sordid, I'm not going to tell it to you tonight. Uh, but they became nations, and they quickly abandoned God, and they quickly followed false deities, and they were notorious for their violence and corruption. And God said, I'm not going to abide them either. In fact, the poet Zephaniah said, the Lord will be awesome against them. What the Lord does will cause people to be in awe. And then the superpower of the world, the great superpower of the world, was Assyria. And Zephaniah prophesied, he will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria. He will make Nineveh a desolation, a dry waste like a desert. And in 712 B.C., the Babylonians and their, um, and their um, allies attacked Nineveh and destroyed it. Zephaniah said, I want you to see the world the way God sees it. God sees the brokenness. He sees the violence. He sees the fraud. He sees the corruption. And although he is a God who is patient, he's also a God who is just. And justice is coming. Can you watch cable news? And say in your heart, God is a God of justice. 
and justice is coming. And then Zephaniah turned his attention back to Jerusalem because he was doing his best to help Josiah reform the city. And in another poem he said, Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. He said the number one characteristic of Jerusalem is you are a city that oppresses people. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correct correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to God. Her officials are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves. Her prophets are fickle, treacherous men. Her priests are profane to what is holy. They do violence to the law. And in spite of that, in spite of that, the Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail. But the unjust knows no shame. Can you hear Zephaniah? Can you relate to his message? It's a call to rethink everything. It's a call to turn away from the corruption of culture and turn back to God. And now Zephaniah, he's discouraged us enough. When I read this, I feel the heaviness of it. Do you? But the book doesn't end there. By the grace of God, it doesn't end in the basement. God promises. For at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech. And all of them will call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. Can you hear this? Zephaniah says the world is broken and God knows it. But he has a plan. And in his plan, he's going to work in people's hearts like yours and mine. The good things he's going to do aren't going to be done uh, uh, on, uh, on uh, uh, network TV. The, things, the good things he's going to do, he's going to do in the hearts and in the minds and in the souls of people like us. And when God restores things, He's going to show himself to us in a very different way. 
I don't know what it is about singing, but it absolutely fascinates people. If you said to people, I'm going to do a lecture on the five virtues that will make your life 100% better, you might get 15 people to come. But if you put Taylor Swift in a skimpy little uniform and dance her across the stage, you can charge millions of dollars and the place will be packed. People love people who sing to them. Uh, I'm looking at some of you who can identify with, there was a day that people went insane to hear the Beatles sing, I want to hold your hand. Do you remember screaming and yelling? No? I think I saw some of you in some of those pictures. <laughs> I mean, really, she was just 17, if you know what I mean. But the way she looked was way beyond compare. People love people who sing to them. I don't know why. I didn't get that genetic thing. Uh, uh, if you want to ruin the mystique, just turn on a music video, turn the music down, and watch them, and look how foolish they look without any music. Anybody else out there uh, as mean-spirited as I am? Um, so God has shown himself as a God of righteousness. But Zephaniah can't leave it there. He said God is more than a God of righteousness. There is a part of his character that is surprising in fact, it's shocking. And Zephaniah wrote this. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I want to look at just three things. He will rejoice over you with gladness. When God whispers to us, no matter what's happening in our culture, when God calls us, no matter what's happening in our world, there is a meaning and a purpose there's something about God, his nature, who he is, and the people who respond to him in faith, hope, and love create, stimulate gladness in the heart of God. In the very same way that violence and fraud annoys God, there is something in the human heart that has the capacity for God to say, 
you make me glad. Church, when I look at my life, if I have to get in a line, I do not want to get in the line of culture that annoys the Almighty. I want to be in the line that lines up and meets God in the kind of way that God says, I'm glad I know you. I'm glad you're mine. I'm glad you seek me. I'm glad you're drawn to me. Church, when God feels gladness, he responds and he will quiet you by his love. I don't know about you, but the world is traumatizing enough that I need spiritual comfort. Church. Uh, I have a large family, and it's always something. And I sometimes go to God, and I just simply say, I'm here for only one thing, and that's for you to quiet my heart. I just want a quiet heart before you, church. I don't want to worry about this kid and that grandkid, and I don't want to worry about this school problem, and I don't want to worry about this and that and this and that. I want to come to God and simply say, there's something about who you are, and when I'm around you in a healthy way, it quiets me. I look at the unfairness and the insanity of violence, and I say to God, I pray that you would quiet and comfort my heart. I look at families that have been torn apart by this latest conflict in, in Israel. I look at, 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 at dads who have children who have been kidnapped and they would do anything to get those kids back. But there's absolutely nothing they can do. I feel their helplessness. And then I say to God, I know something about you. I know that you are a God of justice. But I also know that you are a God who has the capacity to calm the human heart. Church. Zephaniah says, God is a God who gives peace and calm to the human soul. And then his last image is this image. He will exalt over you with loud singing. This is my image. The Gundarina is packed. I mean, absolutely packed. The whole roof has all those flashing lights everywhere. I'm setting on the, uh, I'm setting to the right, of the left of the stage with my friend Dwight. 
and Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band dances out on the stage. And the crowd is so loud you can't even hardly hear the band. And for three and a half hours, uh, the place is nuts until somebody finally ties up Bruce and drags him off the stage. And then we all go home. Do you believe in a God who says, I love singing to you? Does that fit in your image of God? Does it fit in your image of God that there's something about his nature that he finds joy in singing for you? And I have to believe that he has an awesome singing voice. And if you believe in forever and not in just a one-night stand, then there must be a blank of a band. Church, can you hear me? Zephaniah starts us, and he says, look around you. The world is whacked, and God is just. And doesn't that make you expect correction? But even when God corrects, it's not the whole of who he is. It's just a part of who he is. And even when he corrects, he has people in the world that he rejoices over with gladness. He has people in the world that he quiets with his love. And he has people in the world that he exalts over with loud singing. Church, there is an awesome God and Zephaniah knew him well. And listen what he said. If you know God properly, you're going to experience a God who is glad that you're his. You're going to experience a God who has the riches of grace and mercy to comfort your heart. And you're going to experience a God who has delight in entertaining you with divine songs. Church, that is the God I want to follow. Our dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the book of Zephaniah. Thank you that it was written, and thank you that it was uh, uh, preserved. I pray for myself and everyone who's here tonight that we could feel the poetry the way you wanted us to feel it. But most of all, I pray that Zephaniah's poems would help us to think about you in a different way, and we would feel drawn to you, irresistibly drawn to you. In Christ's name, amen.